This is the official HITS training and consulting podcast. We are America's law enforcement canine training resource. We're raising the training bar for police dogs everywhere by discussing the intricate details of the training techniques used by the experts. HITS Radio is merging the training world with the real world. You've been there. We've been there too. Welcome to HITS Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Meyer. Today we're going to do part three of our detection uh, marker dog training series. Got Cameron Ford with me today. Cameron, how you doing? I'm doing good. Just living life out here in Las Vegas. Sounds good. So in our uh, first episode, we talked about charging the mark and what the first steps are if you either are going to do this with a, a green dog or if you're going to switch your, your working dog over to using the mark markers. Um, so we talked about charging the mark in the first episode. The second episode, we went into some searching and some imprinting. And then today we'll talk a little bit about how we do a final response. And and also important to uh, how we do the final response is why do we do the final response last? So without uh, belaboring that point, maybe I'll jump right into that, Cameron. Um, when we're talking about doing this, what would be your preference in in uh, how we how we do the final response and and at what point uh, are we going to start working the final response into this? Well, like we spoke about in episode uh, one and two on this subject matter, um, we discussed basically capitalizing on the dog's natural behavior when they come into target odor. And as we discussed in that episode two, we now have the dog who's kind of locked in and focused on the odor source. So at this point, you can either build duration with a focused response to odor, or you can have your final response be a sit. So in this seg- or segment here, what we're looking for is the dog to either have that demonstrative alert of a very pointer-ish, locked-in type behavior, or go into a sit. How or, down. Or, yeah, or how, down, right? Yeah, or down, down. Any position that's a focused response to odor. So with that said, when we get to this point, we say, okay, we want to add a sip. We have done something, or we should be doing this little game sequence outside of the odor training part, which is basically building sit games or teaching the dog to use its sit behavior in order to get reward from you. So that way, later on, when you're withholding reward, doing negative punishment, the dog will be at source wondering why I haven't been paid yet or been marked. So in that sequence, if it has that tool of knowing, oh, sit is one of these desired behaviors that gets me reinforcement, the dog is likely to go into a sit position. Now, with that said, there may be times where you may verbally assist that dog going into the sit. So if the dog's kind of struggling, waiting it out, you might be able to say, sit, ask the dog to sit. When the dog does sit and it has that focused response to odor, that's when you'd give your marker, whether it be a click or the word free or yes or what have you, and then that releases the dog to come back and engage with you in, in reward. Sure. So, so, so with that, that's a, a, a real good point. And I could just tell from my own experience that um, with quite a few of the dogs that I've trained using the system now, we've done you know what we did in episode one and two, and we'd get the dog to the point to where they're searching very, very well. And we've, we've pushed their hunt uh, as high up as we, we can at that point. So the dog's hunting vigorously through all the different conditions, whatever we put at him. 
when he'll then we'll pay him on the sniff. So when he gets to the target odor, gives it a good sniff, we'll mark it with the, the word free is how we do it. The dog would come back. When we've introduced um, the final response of Acidera down, I've just waited the dog out and seen what the dog will do. Uh, we'll, uh, we have one uh, little female lab and she pretty quickly and pretty naturally went into a solid down position. So she chose that. There was not a lot of interference with us or handler dependency. She she elicited that behavior um, and, and was marked right away. So it worked out real well. Some of the other dogs we've had to kind of struggle with a little bit. So I just jump in here to, to say that I think the uh, playing the game away from the training environment, you know, like if you're, if you're like a lot of agencies, you're training in the evening with a trainer or a group of people going out in the afternoon and, and having that toy in your hand and, and just let the dog get the little wheels turn in his head and, and figure out how can I get you to give me the toy. And if he, as soon as he sits on his own without a command, you give it to him, you start building that, like you say, those tools into his toolbox out of the training environment, it'll pay you dividends down the road when you go back, you know, to the, towards the end of this uh, process and he's already hitting all the odors and you'll, you'll take him in, wait, wait a little while when he's on the odor, he'll probably come back to you, go back and forth, trying to figure out, well, how come you're not saying free or how come you're not clicking? Then he'll have that tool uh, to, to go sit, which um, my own experience is I haven't done that enough. And I just caution our listeners that that's worth the, the time if you get a dog that's a little more stubborn, which a lot of the higher drive dogs, uh, that's going to pay some dividends down the road doing it. Yeah, one of the things that uh, people need to understand is give the dog the ability to know what a possible answer is so that way when they kind of wait for reinforcement and reinforcement doesn't happen, they're likely to reach into that box of tools that you've already given them in behaviors and say, well, how about this behavior? How about that behavior? And they're likely to find that answer quicker. If you haven't ever taught the sit in regards to this kind of game, then the dog will be confused. And in that confusion creates frustration. Frustration comes out in different ways. And as that's occurring, then the handlers get frustrated. And the one thing that we all lack as humans is patience. So exactly. when we don't have patience, we jump ourselves into the situation to help the dog out. And then by doing that too much, the dog then defers to us when it's stressed for information. So like you said, one of the easy games to do is just take your toy, let's say put it on a countertop or on a chair or what have you, and the dogs make the dog wait and sit and look at it and then eventually move your hand away slowly and get to the point where you can put that object there, that toy, take your hand away completely, the dog is sitting there waiting, and when you give that release marker, whether it be yes or free, like you said, or click or what have you, the dog is then free to grab that toy. So that teaches that dog, hey, focus, sit position, equals marker and reinforcer. So, And wouldn't, wouldn't your preference at that point, too, be to have that dog self-discover that? So, I mean, that, that goes to that patience. Correct, I'm yeah. I'm not asking. Not do anything. Yeah, I'm not putting the dog into a sit, per se. Um, you know, all we're doing is just blocking it. You know, the dog can't have it. And when the dog sits, once that dog sits, you mark that. Then you go from sit yeah. to staring, pulling your hand away, making the dog wait longer. And you can do this game and have it done within two or three days max with just a few sessions sure. a day doing this. So another little tool, though, to use when you're transforming from that focused behavior at source but with no position or body position, 
going into a sit, place your training aid a little bit higher. Put it up at three to four feet high. That height, yeah, the dog goes up and comes down. The dog will actually fall into a sit a lot of times. And when it does, then you can mark that. That helps the dog naturally go into that position, which makes your life a little bit easier and enhances your ability not to have to be so patient as you wait for the dog to make a right decision. Exactly. So this would be kind of a good time, too, to talk about. In the class we uh, teach together, we sat there one night and built built a little uh, graph for our, our class, mm-hmm. kind of talking about uh, how it balances out and how the old way, the traditional way of uh, that we had always taught detection dogs versus this, kind of what that what that looked like. Can you take a few minutes and just kind of explain what that graph's all about? And, and it's easy to visualize a pie graph for everybody Correct. and kind of explain that. Yeah, we demonstrate to students is, well, what do we want most out of the dog? Do we want a dog who's got strong hunting behaviors and searching behaviors? Do we want strong odor recognition? And do we, or do we want a strong final response? So obviously we want high, strong odor recognition, very closely related to very strong, high hunting and searching ability. And then the final response is third and least important in that sequence because if you don't have the first two, you'll never get to the third one anyway. So when you look at actual training models that are out there today, the whole focus and beginning of the whole training is all about the sit. has very little to do with searching or hunting or odor recognition. So, for example, let's say it's exactly. the boxes, right? The people go up and they'll tickle the box. Dog goes up the box. As soon as the dog's nose goes in the box, then the handler commands the dog to sit or helps put the dog into a sit position and the toy pops out of the box or is you know lured out of the box, however you want to do it. Once that happens enough times, well, that's all handler influence, handler direction, pointing or tickling the box, and then putting or having the dog go into a sit. Most of that information sequence comes from you. The box is secondary or the odor source is secondary. So all we're saying... And and there's there's no hunt at all. Zero hunt and very little to no odor recognition. Through the sequence, when you go from one box to two box to three box to four, then you get odor recognition and you get a little bit of hunting, but that's not really hunting if you're only looking at four boxes. So that said, this system that we're talking about, the pie graph changes. So we show hey, if you're doing this model, see what you're doing. You're creating it more about the sit, less about the hunt, and also only a little bit about odor recognition. If you just make a slight modification going where you're focusing more about the searching and hunting and odor recognition and then get into the final response behavior after those first two pieces are really solid, then you have a dog who hunts really good. Odor recognition is strong. Then final response behavior is strong because you've done those games separately and then you link the three back together for one solid sequence. Exactly. And so when you have a green dog that doesn't know this game at all and you walk him into a a train, you know, say if you have an office building to train in and he's never played this game before and the very first thing you emphasize all night long is sit, 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 sit. Yep. It falls to reason that a year from now when that dog's a little frustrated or he's in a little bit of odor, he's going to go back to that very first night when you told him, you know, sitting is the most important thing here. So what I like about this system is that it's hunt, hunt, hunt. Mm -hmm. And what I've actually seen in this system, I'm sure you have too, is that 
at that point of time, um, in the traditional method of detect, train detection dogs, oftentimes we will find the dog, uh, when they're starting to pair everything up, um, the higher drive the dog is and certain breeds, I think are sometimes want to outthink the handlers a little more to where, uh, once they understand it, then they're going to try to beat the system. And the most common way for that is just to start sitting at any given time to elicit that reward. Yeah, from and you. if the handler, and what, what I, yeah, and what I, what I've seen it in this system is that instead of going into this false sit, I actually see the dog kick it into a higher gear and start hunting harder. And I'll see them, right. their intensity will actually pick up at that same threshold time where traditionally I'm expecting the dog to start false indicating. And I would, I would tell handlers training dogs that way, you know, that this is very common. We'll work through it. We'll wait the dog out and do, do all the things that we've all done um, and fully expect and not be surprised when the dog starts to do that. In this system, um, I've had several dogs that aren't producing any false uh, responses and only simply hunting harder and harder and getting more obsessed with the hunt part of it to the point where they'll spit the toy out of their mouth and just go right back to hunting because that hunting and the anticipation for the reward is is more important than uh, the actual reward. Absolutely. And if us as handlers or trainers want to get involved too soon in that learning sequence, all we've taught the dog to do is rely upon us for that information. So when confused, when stressed, and they don't know the answer, and if you've interjected yourself earlier in this process too often and too soon, the dog will default to you almost all the time looking you looking to you for the information to solve the equation. We have proven this through science and through canine cognition, the research we're doing at Duke University and so forth. We have to allow the dog to make decisions. We just control the environment the dog is in. So we only allow a few variables in that beginning so that with a dog with little to no let's say, uh, you know, problems added to this equation, they're able to figure out the answer. So once the answer is figured out, then you can start increasing your variables, allowing the dog to become more proficient, deal with more puzzles, longer search areas, more variables, and so on. So, but in the beginning, what happens, <coughs> excuse me, most times people have way too many variables, expect way too much from the dog too early on. Then when the dog struggles, they get involved. And when they get involved or the dog is stressed, the dog then learns, oh, you're my answer. So like you said, back to the point of when the focus is all about the sit and you're the instigator or the cause for that most times in that beginning stage, the dog's like, oh, okay, well, in order to make you happy or do things for you, how about sit? Or when I'm confused or stressed, I go into a sit behavior. And then and then, in that, when I do that fake sit, You'll tell me no, and then I can get up, go down 10 feet. I'll Correct. sit again. You'll tell me no again, and I'll keep doing that until you reach for that tennis ball in your pocket. Yep. And then I know I'm right. So that's that. So we've kind of got off a little bit of, of, of uh, explaining why, why we like this system and um, some of the positives of that. So, but if we're to get back on, on a track, uh, just to remind everybody in the, We've charged the mark in the first episode and the second episode. Now we've got this dog. He's out there hunting a lot. We're paying him. Every time he hits that odor, we're giving him the mark. Then we're paying him. He's playing. Now today we've brought him in. We've extended the duration a little bit. So meaning that 
there's times where he's got to sniff it a little harder and we're withholding that reward just for a second, get him mm-hmm. used to that. We've played the other games outside of training. So he understands sometimes if I sit or if I down, then I'll, I'll get the reward. So now on this day, we're going to bring him in, set up a, basically a one odor, easy problem and simply wait him out. Correct. Correct. And like you said, by breaking those different segments into those little pieces and then putting all those pieces together where we're at now in this conversation, the dog's clarity of the task and what's desired of it is far better than it was when we were trying to do too much at one time. Exactly. And I think what I also see is I don't see much frustration on this day when we, no. when we decide to start working the, the final response in because the dog believes hunting is this game, this whole game. So what I see is instead of getting frustrated because they don't get the reward, I just see them start hunting harder. Correct. And and you and I have exchanged some videos we've seen online where we've watched handlers stay, you know, the dog is, is completely confused. And as the dog's confused, all the handler does is jump in and try to help the dog out. And all that does is create that dependency on that handler. And you can clearly see that by additional videos after that. First one we, we kind of look at, yeah. And you see those dogs constantly looking to the handler, look to the handler, like, okay, I'll sniff this, but look to you. Sniff this, then look to you. And then based on what the handler may do, because if the handler knows the answer, where the odor is at, we inevitably do something, such as maybe staring at the spot where odor is at, or we put our hand into our pocket or our hand behind our back, or we position ourselves in a certain way, the dog knows, oh, that means toy or rewards coming, so how about I'll sit now? And you can tell the dog really has no clear you know, answer as the, oh, this is where odor's at. It's just reading off you. Kind of like what handlers do when us trainers are walking. They're searching an area. They don't know where it's at. And then all of a sudden, all the trainers shut up and stop talking and stop moving. The handler's like, oh, yeah, exactly. there's something around here. Well, the dog does the same thing to you, and I think we've all seen that. Yeah. So that's so that's obviously what you and I would, would consider a big positive here. So as this, this new dog is learning – He's not going to be dependent on the handler and the issues of, especially now, you know, with the dash cams and body cams and these uh, people who attack our profession in the courtroom and are using all the cueing and all the videos and breaking mm-hmm. stuff down. This is a way to get a dog that will be out at the end of the leash, walking up to a car at the very end of the leash without any uh, handler direction, without anything and have the dog working completely independent. All the leash is going to do is keep the dog you know, somewhat on, on a search pattern without breaking too far if he hits odor or something. So it's a nice way, they're, they're fantastic video to have of, of you walking up with the dog, hitting the end of the leash, walking around a car and having the dog do whatever his final response is, whether it's lock up or sit down, whatever it is, um, without ever looking at you and not getting uh, any any change of behavior because you're moving around. So uh, it's it's just a, a big positive that I hope people uh, understand. And, and there's lots of videos online showing that. Correct. And and the, the thing that we have to remember is, like you said, science is telling us and everything that we're learning is the more we're out of that picture and that learning sequence, the better. However, with that said, there's still a canine team. The handler still needs to ensure certain areas are sniffed by the dog. You still sure. make presentations as needed you are still involved. You don't just walk to a doorway, stand there, and, and the dog just walks around and searches an area, or you just walk around a car and do nothing. We There's still some involvement because you are a team. You are helping each other out in the sure. sniff or search of an area. So with that said, I don't want 
people to only hear part of what we're saying, which is yeah. it's very good to stay out of the equation and let the dog learn. But with that said, when you are operational, you're out there doing work, it's still your job to be involved, still present, still make you know good choices of ensuring the dogs are searching productive areas. We're just saying sure. you don't need to do it nearly yeah. as much. Exactly. And the dog won't be dependent on Correct. waiting for you. A good analogy that I use is, is a lot of us who've been doing uh, this job for a long time, maybe we've had a sergeant that, that is a micromanager and you, you get to the point where fine, you want to handle every call. I'll stand here and tell me what paper to write. Cause yeah. I'm not going to bother to do it. I've seen handlers that are micromanagers that get in front of the dog so much that they tell the dog everywhere their nose should be. And the dog gets so dependent on that. The dog's not really searching. He's just following their hand. Yep, exactly. So, so once we've got the dog, he's, he goes in the room, we've, we've set the hide, um, you know, preferably a, a hide that the dog can't get to, right? A, a drawer or something secure. Mm-hmm. Dog goes in the room, sniffs the odor. We wait him out. Uh, say he comes back to you. We're going to go back to just our patients, right? Just correct. Uh, because th- this is the sequence where the dog is trying to figure out what do you want me to do? That You've changed a variable on me. Why am I no longer getting marked just for going up and sniffing and freezing? So the answer is in the absence of you doing something, your dog will do something. If the space has only so many variables in it, the dog only has so many options, two to three options, let's say, it has the ability to know the right answer much quicker. So as soon as it does, you mark that and reward that. So again, like we talked about a second ago, we just don't want to have too many variables at that stage when you're trying to introduce something new or get that defined final response of a sit position. So allow the dog to make decisions, allow the dog to make mistakes, and as soon as the dog makes the correct decision, a correct choice, you mark that and reward that. Exactly. So it's it's as easy as you know, the dog's in a basically an empty room with, with one drawer, one, one single thing. Dog sniffs it, waits for the mark that he's been getting for the few weeks before that. Doesn't happen, goes back to the handler, looks around. Maybe you give him a search command, and when he goes back, he stands there for a little while. And most dogs with decent uh, drive, will they're gonna, you can see the wheels start turning on Absolutely. him. That's where that cognition really kicks in. They're, we've pegged their hunt drive as high as we can over those last few weeks and made it a fun game. You're not going to see a lot of stress in the dog because there isn't much else to do. They're focused on just that one odor, mm-hmm. and they're just trying. And it should be an odor that they know very, very well. It's their, I'll use their very strongest odor with the, the bomb dogs. You know, like Correct. we'll use you know uh, you know anything that that any of the stronger odors that really kick out a lot of odor. It makes it very easy for the dog and. Uh, Simtex is an easy one for, for a lot of the dogs and, and that way they'll stick with it and then I'll, I'll just ignore them once that dog does either a sit if it, you know ideally they do a sit on their own that exact time free and then they come back and do that repetition a few times um, and I like your your point earlier that you said of, of doing you know these games outside there because I think they'll pick that up a lot faster by having that in their toolbox. Correct, yeah. The, the more that you, you create these tools that they can default back to via their memory as memory that led them to reinforcement. I'll give this example of, we've all seen it, we've taught dogs obedience, right? Sit, stay, down, etc. So when you're first teaching, let's say, sitting down, and the dog kind of understands it, and you go to your, you go in your house, you get your dog with you, you go to the treat room or the treat bag, you open it up, 
you don't even have to say anything. What does the dog typically do? Goes into a sit, goes into a down. You're not saying anything. It's eliciting behaviors, hoping to give you or have, hoping to have you give it a reward, right? So without Absolutely. even saying a word, the dog's going, oh, I know this works. I know that works. One of these things I'm going to do should get me what I want. Well, same thing will work in detection. The dog knows, okay, well, I froze before, freezing, focusing on source. Some dogs will nose bump the spot. Some dogs will freeze and kind of back up, spin around, go back in again. But if you've taught that sit behavior in that context we spoke about earlier, that dog will try the sit position. Soon as it does, boom, mark that, reward, and so forth. Exactly. And you and I talked about this earlier, and, and I'll – I'll say the caveat that this probably isn't as scientific as as uh, as you like. I know sometimes. So whether whether this is super scientific or not, I, I found that it works a little bit. So I had a dog that um, in this in this day when we're trying to do the final response, um, he's a very very high drive dog, and he was going to aggress the odor. I, I figured he probably would. That I knew that was going to be his default position. So in a way to keep the handler. And have the dog, the dog's extremely trainable. I didn't want the dog to really get dependent on the handler to tell him to sit or to correct him. We put the dog into the, the room where there was the only option was the box. And it was a secure box, so he couldn't get to it. Tried to wait him out a little bit. Um, we put him on a longer line, kind of held him back a little bit so he get his nose. But that wasn't working. So then I went next to the box, and I gave the, hand, the dog a correction without any any command, just a correction when he touched the box, mm -hmm. which prolonged the the process a little bit because then it was like, well, I don't know if what I'm doing wrong, but he'd go back to the handler. Sure, you, you introduced that stressor there, so the dog was trying to deduce, okay, what caused yeah, that? Yeah, so then we, but what I didn't want in that instance is this dog to learn that the handler would tell him to sit every time. So he was just, he's mm -hmm. that kind of dog that's a little bit of a bucket head, love the dog to death because he's that stubborn that he works hard, but he's just a little bit of a buckethead. So instead of fighting that battle, I introduced kind of myself with the, the, the mindset that when I'm not there, he's not going to be looking for the handler because the handler, it was, it was those guys against me, if you will, that I was the one, you know, given the correction mm -hmm. seems to have worked pretty well. The dog quickly that night, we had a strong final response on that dog into a sit without much handler uh, interaction and never, never really looks back at the handler so it, it, it worked pretty well just to, to kind of jumpstart that. So if somebody has that problem where the dog is going to be real aggressive to it, it, it might be one option for somebody. Sure. And, and that's what we, you know, certain dogs, because we all learn dogs are different. Not You can't just lump them all into one group. You can't put all the Malinois in one group or German Shepherds or Labs. Each dog has a personality. Like you said, some are very high driven and referred to as bucket heads. And then the other ones are, very critical thinkers. They tr they're trying to constantly one up you or, or figure out the system. So, yeah. yeah, you have to be flexible as a trainer and a handler and understand that specific dog and figure out what works best. Sure. So, I think that that's a pretty straightforward concept. What we're talking about is basically let the dog, uh, you know, if you've done all that, now the dog figures out that. And then it's going to be lots and lots of repetitions after that of the dog going into that final response and marking it. So, I think, you know, all our listeners are going to understand that pretty easily. If anybody has a question, you, you, everybody knows how to contact us. But I want to move on to the next thing that I think is really important in the system. And I've learned this from you and and I am a huge believer in it. I'd like you to touch a little bit on um, the variable reward system once the dog's up and running, which is is, is the variable reward is not going to happen 
much at all um, during the initial training. But now the dog, you know, you've you've got the final response built in. Maybe you've already passed certification. He's up and running. You're still doing, you know, a decent amount of new dog training. We introduced that variable reward. And can you kind of explain to everybody what that is, why it works, and and you know what 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 that's all about? Yes, the science of dopamine and anticipation. So as in my hometown now of Las Vegas, this whole place is built on the creation of expectation, the hope of when we might get rewarded. We don't know when, so we go to those slot machines and you keep dumping money into them, keep pulling that handle, hoping at some point you get something. So every now and then you'll win maybe 10 bucks. Then one time it's 100 bucks. Another time it's back down to 10 bucks. So that variable reward creates this pleasure in your brain, dopamine, and you're hoping to get something. So once you've trained the dog and you've created that expectation of reward, well then, now you can vary that reward. You don't have to give it every single time. Keep the dog guessing was when the jackpot is going to happen. When am I going to get my favorite toy or that treat? The dogs work harder because science has shown us the expectation of reward creates a stronger response than the constant getting rewarded every single time. Sure. And I think, you know, anybody who's done this for a long time or a decent amount of time has seen several dogs. I know over the years, there was dogs that I saw that were outstanding detection dogs and very high drive, very well-balanced, well-trained dogs. And when we would do some training, the first one, they were dynamite. The second one, they were dynamite. The third one, they were a little less. By the fifth one, their intensity was going down. And, and you know, I think over the years, we usually say dogs getting tired, the dogs this, you know, this or that, or, you know, whatever. But really it's just that, that every time it's, you know, smell odor, get reward, smell odor, get reward. The, the anticipation and the dopamine level in that dog's brain is not where it was. Mm-hmm, correct. And there's another couple of things happen. One kind of piggybacks off what you said a few minutes ago, repetitions. So when we have numerous repetitions in the sequence, you and I have gone through three years as a trainer, you go, I want one more. That was good. Let's get one more. And we fall into that trap because that extra one more that we want ends up with a less than desired sequence that we wanted. So now we've got an error that the dog's on. So then we're forced to try to go more. Again, what science is telling us is less is more. So you get one or two really good um, sequences where the dog does the desired behavior, you have to stop and walk away because what we're learning is the less amount of reps creates a clearer picture in the memory for the dog. So let me give you an example. If I showed you a image and it was, you know, I gave you one image to look at, you, you, you can memorize it, and then I showed it to you later on in a thumbnail version, you'll go, oh yeah, that's the image I saw earlier. If I showed you numerous images and then showed you a thumbnail and had you try to remember a specific one, it's harder to sure. do. So with the dogs, if we have this sequence where we have repetition, 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 mixed in there and all those repetitions is some good ones and some bad ones, the dog will get a little bit more not clear on what was the best ones to pay attention to. So when you get those few very good ones, one, let's say you just do two or three reps. In that two or three reps, your last two were really good. Stop. You don't need rep four and five and six because you're bound to introduce an error. Exactly. Or you're creating a sequence of memories 
that is not as easy to remember the des- the best or most desired one because there's so many of them. Exactly. And I'm going to jump in right here and and just let our listeners know that I'm going to tease an upcoming show that uh, you don't even know about yet, but you do right now that we're going to do with okay. with you. Uh, basically, we're, we're going to have you explain a lot of the stuff you're doing with Duke. And and you've already, we you and I have had this conversation we're talking about right now over a beer and you, you explained to mm-hmm. me what that dog's brain does then when we go put him in the car. And that's fascinating stuff. Oh, and yeah. it's, it's, it's as a trainer or a, whether you're a new handler or trainer, it's stuff that we need to know We're it's um, cutting edge things. So before we go too far down that rabbit hole on this show, okay, yeah, I'll say, I'll say it for the uh, upcoming yeah, you guys one. Make sure you listen for that one. Cause we're going to do a cognition show with Cameron where we can explain quite a bit of, of why less is more. Um, but back to uh, you know talking about variable reward. Yeah, variable reward. Yeah. It, it, at first, you know, I wasn't. I, I knew that it made sense when he explained it, but I wasn't really sure how well it would be. So I took my dog, and I do. I always do variable reward. Now he, he never gets a his reward. He'll so I'll say free, and then as he's charging back to me, sometimes I kind of clap mm-hmm. my hands, say, "All right, go back to work." And where. Mm-hmm. Most people think, well, he's going to get frustrated because I didn't give him his Kong. What actually he does is he runs back and he starts searching harder. So I actually have to kind of uh, watch how many times I'll cheat him out of a toy where I think a lot of people think, well, if, if I cheat him off three times, then the fourth time he's not going to go search. Well, actually, if that happens, you got the wrong exactly. Dog. Actually, what you get is a dog that's going to get so high and drive. And my dog actually gets frantic and is a bomb dog can't really have the frantic crazy dog I'll, I'll actually produce a monster for a minute because not because he's frustrated but because that dopamine in his brain he's having so much fun and he's so excited that the hunt is is through the roof but i have to be able to calm that down a little bit and, and pull him back down so the reward actually is a way to uh, calm him down as opposed to him getting frustrated by not getting it so it's been a fascinating thing um, I think that is one of the things where the people that I've trained in this area on the market training are lacking is they're not buying into the um, variable reward as much as they should. And and I, I think you would agree that's a, a real valuable part of this whole system. Absolutely. And there's two ways to do it. One is what you talked about, which is not giving anything other than a secondary reinforcer, which is your praise, after the dog hears the mark. There's the other alternative, which is kind of like the gambling, where I'm not going to give you your favorite toy, but you might, if your dog, let's say, is tug toy crazy, but on one of the reps, he gets a tennis ball. On another rep, he may get a, let's say, a PVC pipe. And then on that third one, it's his favorite tug toy, and then so on. So the next sequence, it's maybe number two, he gets his favorite tug toy, and the other ones he doesn't. So you can use variable reward not only from secondary reinforcement of praise, but you can also vary the type of reward that's received after the dog hears that mark. So both have high value as far as creating that dopamine release because, again, at the end of the day, they want their favorite thing, just like we do. We want that million-dollar pull. We pull that handle in Vegas. So, But that $100 keeps you motivated, right? You still will pull the handle because, hey, I got some money. Some money's better than nothing. So... Same concept we can use with the dogs too and get that same strong, desired hunting, searching behavior, the dog going crazy, looking for that target source and being proficient at it because they know they don't know quite when when jackpot's exactly. gonna happen. 
So here's an interesting uh, side thing to the variable reward that I've seen. Uh, you've probably seen it too, is um, as a way to kind of show the handlers that even though we, we preach and preach not to do any queuing, what I've uh, seen several of the handlers when, when I'm pushing the variable reward is when they're not going to give their dog the reward, they absolutely do nothing, which is what I want them to do every single time. I want that dog to be basically mm-hmm. charging at them before they, you know, technically I really like to have the handler have the, the toy in their hand. That way they're not reaching for yeah, anything. Yeah, if you can walk around with that toy in your yeah, hand, that, how clear is that picture to that dog? But what I've seen several times now is that when they – when they know in their mind that they're not going to get delivered the word, they're just going to send the dog right back to searching. They'll say free. The dog will look back, realize that you haven't reached for that toy, which you always do. And then they just basically ignore them and kind of go back to hunt. It's they're not getting the variable reward benefit because the dog doesn't believe that the rewards really coming. So yeah. I really want to see that dog. Like my dog will charge at me the same time, every time thinking I'm going to give him the ball when I don't, mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'll have it in my hand, but I'll just tell him, nope. It's kind of like uh, Linus and Lucy kicking the football. He'll run by. I'll take it right out of his his face and say, go back to work. And he doesn't fight me over it. He runs right back to work because it's a fun yep. game. So not getting the, yeah. the reward isn't frustrating him. It's just building that drive. So that's a really – You said it earlier too. When a dog gets the toy sometimes, as soon as you tell them to out, they take off and go back to search exactly. again because the fun is kicked back in now. Ooh, when do I get it again? Exactly. And I think, you know, outlining it that way, hopefully our listeners now kind of look at what they're, they're training. And if, if their training night consists of finding, say, a, a school and setting up six rooms and in six rooms or five rooms, one single hide in each one, and they walk in, the dog finds something, they give them the toy, they walk out in the hallway, take the toy, do it. It, it sounds boring when we discuss that. And it, mm-hmm. it is boring to the dog where if, and the, where's the if, hunting? if the dog's hunting really hard and he's got to hunt three or four rooms, then he gets the toy on the fourth one when he, he finds the right odor and then he hunts a few more, then he gets odor. And then now he doesn't get the toy and, and he understands that I don't get the toy this time. So I got to go back and start hunting again, which there's a little bit of an adjustment for um, the experienced dogs when you start variable reward, but it kicks in right away. It's, mm-hmm. It starts being a pretty clear picture to most people when I've explained it to them. This is starting to sound a little more exciting for the dog. Now he's hunting a lot. He doesn't know which time he's actually going to get to play. Uh, and he's going to keep keep hunting harder and keep coming back to the handler. Hey, do I get it this time? Nope. All right. I'm going back to work. Let me know if I get it next time. And, and, and <laughs> I'll humanize this for us. Sure. Women can use this on men and they do it quite well. The expectation <laughs> of reward, right? Exactly. We know very quickly uh, what we need to do to make them happy and we're willing to work for that, right? Um, exactly. So the dog is the same way. They want to be happy. They want to engage with us. All we're doing is manipulating that that behavior and that emotion by having the dog work. You don't know when you're going to get the payoff, but it will happen. Exactly. So that's exactly. what we're trying to do with the dogs is, hey, all you got to do is work. As soon as you find this, you might get full-on jackpot or you still get good praise and reinforcement, but let's keep going until we find what we're looking for. So like you said, the, the only way we can really build this is having enough space where we're creating searching and hunting. If your exactly. hides are in, you know, you have multiple hides in one room or you have one hide per room because you're going down a checklist going, oh, okay, I did cocaine, I've done heroin, we've done meth, um, MDMA, and so forth. You're not training for the right reason. You need to train that enhances that dog's skill set, 
the training is very clear to the dog what the what the task is and then what happens when they find it. But if we exactly. are just training for that checklist, we are cutting short really what we should be doing and we're not really validating what the dog knows. Nothing creates that validation other than when you can walk through an area completely unknown to you, unknown to the dog obviously, and walk out and go there's nothing here. That is exactly. so difficult for exactly. so many handler teams because we're, we've created a training process where we always have that expectation to find something. But yet, when we go to the street, we don't know for sure, right? Exactly. So how many times have we all seen it where we're reaching for reasons why the dog may have alerted versus accepting yeah. the fact that, well, it probably alerted because you've created this sequence all the time throughout your training, and all of a sudden now, in reality, it doesn't quite match up, and we start seeing gaps that exist. Exactly. Every 10 minutes I find something and if I don't. Yep. You know, so so that kind of wraps up uh, everything. We've talked about charge of the mark. We've talked about uh, going into uh, the hunt, uh, the hunting drills and imprinting, basically letting the dog self-discover what the, the final response is. And it, it when I wrap it up, it sounds simple because it really is a, a pretty simple, using the science behind it makes this a, a pretty simple process. It's something I wish you know, 20 years ago, I would have known more yeah, about me too. Uh, we, certainly the dogs that we've trained over the years, everybody, the, the, the dogs are, there's nothing wrong with them. There's, they're, they're finding mm -mm. odors and stuff, but I think by learning science and, and moving the needle forward for our profession is, is nothing but a positive, positive thing. So that kind of wraps up our whole, uh, you have anything else on that before we sign off on the detection? No, I mean, it's like we said is the sequence is introduce, you know, the sequence, as we discussed, create that dog with a very clear picture of what the task is, then validate what you've done by doing, by pushing yourself, doing those, those blanks or those double blinds and being able to say, yes, confidently, I know my dog has a clear picture of what the job is, which is hunt, locate odor if it is present. And once it has, this is what I do when I find it. Exactly. And with very minimal handler uh, influence throughout mm -hmm. the beginning stages of this, you're going to end up with a dynamite dog. So Absolutely. we've gone a little bit long today, but I want to make sure we get all this in. Well, we're going to wrap up uh, this. If people have any type of uh, questions on this or have follow-up questions, we could entertain entertain those in our training question and answer show. Yep. So uh, I want to give you a second to kind of talk about uh, your, your new venture there in Las Vegas. Yes. So uh, a couple of exciting things going on. One is we now, I have created a podcast called Canines Talking Sense, which is a podcast dedicated directly to detection dog stuff. All the things we talked about to include all the great science stuff. So I'm going to have interviews with Dr. Brian Hare from Duke University. I've got Nathan Hall coming up who runs the uh, odor and scent uh, facility in Texas Tech University um, and a lot of many other ones. That's It's all about whether you are a, a sport person doing nose work or you're the professional like us out there working a bomb dog or drug dog, that podcast is for you. So that combined with what's been going on at Silver State Canine here, what I call a scent city Las Vegas where... Um, we've been, we had our first inaugural, uh, canine handler course and which was for all civilians. These were people that had no military or police background that got the chance to become a canine handler and go through a basic handler course. So that was cool. And, and those of you that are handlers that have spent your time being a handler or ready for a trainer school, 
Our facility is now set up to certify and train individuals to become uh, a, a certified canine detection trainer and or patrol dog trainer. Outstanding. And that's all at silverstatecanine.com? Correct. Silverstate yeah, canine.com. That, and actually, I was just thinking, too, I go, we go to Los Angeles on Wednesday and go pick up uh, our first set of new dogs that we'll be training up. So not only do I have the handler and trainer aspects, we, we are now going to be offering fully trained uh, dogs, detection dogs available for, for those that are looking for that. No green dogs, but fully trained detection dogs will be available. Good. So you got a lot going on there, and and your email is forward at silverstatecanine.com, correct? That is correct, absolutely. So I'll put that in the show notes. And if you guys like what this uh, class and you want to see more about it and see some videos, Cameron and I teach a class called On the Mark Detection Training. We're doing that at HITS in Chicago. So HITS will be in Chicago this year. We're um, August 13th. We're going to have over 1,000 fellow handlers. We're law enforcement only, which is, is nice for uh, – that event mm-hmm. it's all law enforcement and we'll have uh probably 100 110 different vendors there so check us out hits canine.net if you have any uh, questions for me either on this show or if you have questions or topics that you want me to talk about or questions for our training question and answer podcast just contact me at jeff at hits canine.net jeff at hits canine.net and all the information about hits obviously is at hits canine.net you know, those that uh, want us to come out to your, your location or your agency to do this class uh, in a more personalized setting, that's what Jeff and I do. Um, we've done it one other time before in his local area, but uh, we, I kind of know, and you, you know as well, that this kind of podcast creates a lot of questions. So uh, we're more than happy to come to your agency and spend three days and teach you guys everything we've been talking about. Exactly. And in those three days when we leave, Uh, this concept will be it's an easy concept to pick up we'll maybe have to do a little problem solving with a couple dogs but uh, everybody will leave with a a good solid understanding of it so that'll wrap up this uh, episode be safe out there and hopefully we'll see everybody in Chicago in August thanks HITS Radio is brought to you by the professionals at HITS Training and Consulting Don't miss out on the world's largest law enforcement canine training conference coming to the McCormick Center in Chicago, Illinois this August. HITS has the most diverse class schedule to fit your training needs. And with over 100 vendors, you'll find everything you need to gear up for your next shift. Register today and save at www.hitscanine.net.